You're listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. with it anymore um it just there's something just there's good for me to be reminded of the goodness of the lord um you can oh yeah you're seated uh, i think <laughs> i think one one thing if i could give you a, a little point of advice at some point you should come sit up in the front at oaks and listen to the people behind you sing because like man it, like, y'all sound good like i don't know and there's, there's like a bunch of dudes today over here like it wasn't like girl voices so like if you're if you're a guy over here and you're letting them have it like you're, you're ministering to my heart, so like, way to go. If, uh, if you got a Bible, I hope you do. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse, uh, beginning in verse 12, all right? So that's where we're going to be this morning. So this morning, we're going to talk about how, how, how discipleship actually takes place. So we're, we've started Church of the Oaks. It's a brand new church plant. We're like six weeks old now as far as like weekly services go. We've been doing groups and stuff forever. The reason we've been doing groups long before we had weekly services was because we believe that disciples aren't made in big crowds. Disciples are made across tables. And so to to be a disciple, to grow in Christ, you need some people around you to help you do some things, to become more and more like Jesus. So we started discipleship groups was the very first thing we started as a church, which is usually the last thing a church starts. And then we started community groups that are a little bit bigger. And the last thing we added on was these weekly services. And so if you're kind of new to the whole Oaks thing, I want you to know like our heartbeat is this thing called discipleship. Now you may not have any idea what that means. Hopefully by the end of our time this morning, you'll have a little bit better idea, but I want you to know how this process works and that you need some people around you to help make that happen. That's why we have all these groups. Okay. So this morning, we're kind of trying to, we're taking apart what it looks like to become more like Christ, what that process takes and how that looks, and then exact, kind of exactly what it requires of you to see some life change, all right? So a few years ago, a guy named Malcolm Gladwell released a book called Outliers. Has anybody like heard of the book Outliers? Good. Me and Maria are the only people in the room who know what that is. Okay, so Malcolm Gladwell had this book, it's called Outliers, and the, kind of the idea of this book is um, that there are no such thing as true outliers, that people that are just really, really special, that they're these, these prodigies, that they're just incredibly gifted, and that just because of their own little innate awesomeness, that they rise to the top. Like, they're, like people don't become experts. People don't become you know, the best in the world at something just because of what they have inside of them. It takes some additional stuff. And so basically what Malcolm Gladwell said in this book about outliers was that it takes at least two things. To become an expert at something, to become proficient, just incredibly great, the top of the class, like best in the world at something, it requires at least two things, okay? And the first one, he said it took 10,000 hours, at least, minimum, 10,000 hours of practice. At which point I was like, I hate this book. I don't want to do that at all. Like I have no concept of what 10,000 hours looks like, so I did the math for you, okay? It, it, for it to, to get 10,000 hours of practice at something, that's 10 hours of practice a week, every week, for 20 years. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't think I care enough about anything to be that good at it, right? Yeah, it, would be, it would be three hours a day, every day, for 10 years. Three hours a day, every day, for 10 years, for you to become an expert at something, just to like that, that, that's just the first thing. Like there's another thing. He's like, you gotta have that. You gotta put in the time and the effort. It's gonna take at least 10,000 hours for you to be the best in the world at anything that's complicated, anything that's hard, okay? So, but the second thing you need, he said it was luck. And then you're just frustrated, right? 
I put 10,000 hours into something and now you're telling me that I can, I can still not be the best at it? Like, what do we do it? Okay, so he's like, yeah, I have 10,000 hours and you've got to also some have, have just some just straight up luck. He's like, you know, Bill Gates? Bill Gates isn't Bill Gates because he's really smart and he's Bill Gates. He went to a high school that happened to have like the very first accessible coding machine like in the country. Like he was the only high school kid in the country that had access to this thing and the only one nerdy enough to like sit there and figure out how to work it, okay? And so Bill Gates just spent like his entire high school career on this machine that no one else in the world had access to because he was lucky. Or, or like, uh, who was the other? I got another example. Like, so professional hockey players. Like, like they're just great at hockey. No, every single professional hockey player is born in January or February. You're not going to be a professional hockey player if you're born in April. You're just not. Because you're, you're bigger and you're stronger and you're faster when you're younger, so you get to play more and you get better coaching. So the, the, the oldest kids on the team get more coaching, so you're not going to make it to the pros unless you put in the 10,000 hours and you happen to be born in January or February. It takes two things. It takes a lot of time and it takes some luck. Listen, if you're a Christian in the room, I think that um, I can make some assumptions about you. I think there's something in you, if you're a Christian in the room, that you're saying, listen, I want to know and follow God well. I want to know God deeply. I don't want to just have this kind of cursory, sort of like weak relationship with him. Like, I want to see real change in my life. Like, I think that's where you probably are. I think that's why you're here on the time change Sunday. Like, you, you, wanted to, you wanted to know and follow Jesus well. You want to see actual change in your life. You want to be free of the grips of some of that long-standing sin in your life. You want him to set you free from some of that stuff. You want to be an expert at this following Jesus thing. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm guessing that sometimes, uh, sometimes the way Christianity is explained to you or talked about can sound a little bit too good to be true. Where it, it sounds like you've, maybe you've heard that if you'll just put your trust in Jesus, then everything else in your life is just going to be okay. Like life is just going to be better and life is going to be great just as soon as you trust Jesus. But then you look at people that you know have trusted Jesus and their life still looks like a mess and so they, they're still living the exact same way you are. So like, what's, what's the deal? Why is there change and some people will not change and others? This morning, Paul's gonna show us that knowing and following Jesus well, it does not happen overnight. Knowing and following Jesus well, it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes a process. It takes time, but it also takes something more than time, which we'll get to in a minute. Look at verse 12 of the as we begin this morning. And in, in the time of the word, Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, not only, like, not only when I'm with you, but also in my absence, just this is the command, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, so that, let's take that apart. And it says, therefore, at the beginning, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to look at what's up in front of it and remind yourself what this passage is there for, okay? So if you think back to last week, if you were with us at the Bama last week, like what we talked about was the Christ hymn, where, where Paul like, walks through this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he's done as he's laid down his life. He dove out of heaven to get between our, our sin and the wrath that we had earned. Like he, he dove in between, between us and, and what we deserved. That he took, took on all of my sin and he paid for that on the cross and he rose from the grave defeating even death for me. It said that he took on the form of a servant, making himself nothing, like gave up, gave up his, pre, like his spot in heaven to come down here and be with us. In humility, he gave up his life for you and me. And so he says, therefore, in light of all that, in light of what Christ has done, he's got a command for us, right? 
In light of what Christ has done, in light of this insanity of what Jesus did for me and you, he says this. He says, as you've always obeyed. So he's kind of he's getting there. He's working his way to it. And he's saying, this is, there's going to be a point of obedience here. He's about to give them something. He's about to give them a command. And it's going to be something that you have to actively choose to obey or not. This is the same thing for me and you. As we look in this passage, there's going to be things that you're going to have to choose to live up to, to live inside of, to, to walk in obedience to or not. When anything's a point of obedience, it's something that we have to intentionally choose to do. So what's coming is something that you're going to have to decide whether you want to do or not. So he goes down and he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that phrase for you is probably a little bit ambiguous. Like it's, it's, it's probably not, you're, you don't, that's not clearly understanding. You know, as soon as you read that the first time, you let your eyes rest on that, it's not immediately clear what that's calling you to do. So I'm hoping as we take this apart, we're going to get there, okay? So this is the basic definition of what uh, is, a, is, a, is a big word in Christianity called sanctification, all right? So I don't know if you've ever heard the word sanctification or not. Sanctification is, this is what it is. It's the, it's the lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. There's a, there's a point when you trust Jesus as your Savior that you are justified before God. Like he has wiped away your sin and you, like, you stand, if you're in a courtroom before God, like you are deemed innocent, okay? But then there's this lifelong process that follows of sanctification, this lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've already trusted Christ as your Savior. You've already been found in him. But you have to actively decide whether you're going to continue to grow in him or if you're just going to float and do nothing. Like if you're going to actually obey this, if you're going to walk in this or not. But first, let's make a note about what this doesn't say. Sometimes when you read those few words, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you might, you might, be, uh, you might be tempted to think about that as, as saying work for your salvation. Paul does not say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. There's a world of difference between those two things. You and I cannot work for our salvation. That's not what Paul's calling us to. In any like, sort of you know, interpretation of this, there's no way that Paul is saying that you have to work for your salvation, that having come to trust Christ, you've got to continue to try to earn it. You've got to continue to walk in obedience and follow a bunch of rules so that you can still be like, you know, accepted by God. That's not what he's calling you to do. It's not working for salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says this. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Like that's how you're saved. You've been saved by grace through faith. And then it says, and this is not your own doing. It's the free gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So there in Ephesians, Paul is saying, listen, like you, you can't earn this. The only way you receive salvation is by grace through faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, like this gift is given to you. But then there's some, some works that we're called to walk inside of as we continue to walk out becoming more and more like Jesus. All right, so he is not, he's not calling me and you to work for our salvation. He's calling us to work out our salvation, to walk this out, to figure out how to do this and figure out how to apply it to our daily lives. All right? He's calling them to keep working on becoming more like Christ. So how do we do that? Because that's what we're trying to figure out, right? If we're going to be experts at following Jesus well and knowing him deeply, then how do we do this? How do we become more like Jesus? If there's some things that we need to be working on and need to be doing, then I want to know what those are because I want to know it. So how do we do that? Well, last week we talked about this. We said we could go and make a big list of rules. Like, we can have a big old Excel sheet, like Christian can make us for us, like, he's great at Excel sheets. Like, we can have a Gantt chart and figure out how to do all this stuff, and then we can tick off these boxes and make sure we're following all these rules, and we can still miss 
the point completely. It never works. I've had, I actually did this one time. I had a little journal that I kept in my, in, my, uh, in my car with me, and I kind of listed out a bunch of spiritual disciplines and things I wanted to do and some attitudes I wanted to change. And then I numbered the top of, like, you know, which day of the week it was. And I would go through at the end of the day, and I would kind of evaluate myself and say, all right, so how did I, how did I do on these different little things? And I'd walk down the check boxes, and there'd be days when I'd get most of them. There'd be days I wouldn't get as many of them, and I'd feel really bad about that. And at the end of it, I was like, this is just straight-up legalism. This isn't the gospel at all. And so I threw out my little book. It's gone, all right? But we can try that. We can say, all right, the way that we're going to work out our salvation, the way that we're going to become an expert at following Jesus well is I'm going to just make myself follow the rules. I'm going to decide what these rules are. I'm going to set them up before me and remind myself of them. And by my self-will and my self-discipline, I'm going to follow hard after Jesus. It just doesn't work. Paul's been telling us, he told us last week, that's what the whole sermon was last week, is that instead of following a list of rules, you and I are called to follow an example. We're just called to follow the example of Jesus. We're just called to be like him. So when he says for us to work out our salvation, we're working to have the mind of Christ, to just follow his example, just be like him. All right? As um, I, I tell you periodically, like I, I really enjoy just getting to sit down with people across the table. And this week I think I've got like, 12 meetings with some of you guys, all right, which I'm excited about. We're going to hang out, and if I haven't gotten to you about hanging out yet, the next week, it's coming, okay? We're going to, that's, that's on the card, check the box for me with Britain, I'm going to get to it. Um, but one of the things I like to do in those just times of getting to spend time with people, I just have some questions that I've, you know, found to be helpful, and one of those questions that I love to ask is, are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago? I think it's a great question. Like, are you, are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago, I ask people this all the time. I ask a ton of people this, and every time I ask it, it causes people to kind of pause and reflect for a second, which I think is, it's, it's, it's good, because if, if I ask you if you're more like Jesus than you were a month ago, you really have no idea. And some, some months, probably the answer is absolutely not. You've had a rough month. Like, my whole family was sick this week. Me and Jessica are not on our game spiritually like we are normally, because our whole family's been, been through a rough week, you know? And so you can't ask if you're more like Jesus than you were a month ago. Not enough time's passed. But you could, you could ask, like, hey, are you more like Jesus than you were five years ago? And, and that's almost too easy of a question. If you're a Christian, like, if you think back five years ago, my hope, my prayer is that you can see some marked differences in your life, in your walk with Christ from five years ago. I know I can't. Like, that's easy. That's, a, that's an easy question. But a year, it's just short enough, but it's just long enough to see if the gospel is actually taking root, actually changing you if you're walking in it. All right, so what about you? If I was going to ask, if it's just me and you sitting there and I ask you this question, like, are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago? What would you say? If you just think about that for just a minute, let it kind of like wash around your mind, like evaluate, okay, it's, it's March, like right when the pandemic started, you know, like that was, that was last year. So since pandemic started, you know, since all of us had to start wearing masks all the time, like are you, are you closer to Jesus? Like is your, is your walk with Christ stronger than it was at that point last year? The reason why we ask questions like that is because it reminds us that, that, the, that the process of becoming more like Jesus is not, a, is not quick and easy. It's something that happens over time where the gospel takes root and sanctification happens and the spirit works in our lives, giving us the mind of Christ and in slow and incremental ways we become more and more like Jesus if we avail ourselves to it. Working out, working out our salvation is just not a process of, of quick gains. So hopefully, as you think back from a year ago, you're like, okay, I can see some ways when my attitude has been kind of reshaped in some ways. I can see that I'm a little bit more gracious towards people. 
I jumped into a community group and I've just jumped into a huddle and I'm, I'm starting to spend more time on the word. I'm starting to see some fruit out of that. It's not like I'm radical, like I'm a completely different person. Maybe, maybe you are, it'd be awesome. But there's incremental change. That's great. Because the process of becoming more like Jesus is not a process of quick gains, all right? Like, I'm not a workout guy. All of you know that already, just by, like, you're looking at me right now, and we're all clear on that, okay? Um, and I feel good about it. Every once in a while, though, I'll get, all, I'll get all excited about it, and I'll go join a gym, and then I'll go for, like, two weeks straight. And I'll get what we call newbie gains. You know what newbie gains are? Newbie gains is when you haven't done something in so long that when you finally do pick up a weight, your muscles are like, oh, that's what I'm for, and they just like jump a size off nothing, okay? You haven't actually gotten any stronger, just all of a sudden your muscles aren't just completely relaxed at all times. And you just got, you get, all of a sudden, like I'll, I'll work out for like two weeks, and my little shirts start fitting a little tighter, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I'm feeling good about this, I'm looking good, you know? I'm like asking Jessica, like, hey, can you, you know? She's like, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I'm like, great, that's cool. It's cool, it's fine, whatever. And then I start working out again. But like, there's this point where you, you work out for two weeks, and you're like, I got some newbie gains. I'm feeling good about this, man. I'm making progress. This is awesome. In fact, in reality, like, I am no stronger than I was prior to that. I haven't gained any real strength. I haven't gained any real stamina. I can't do anything like two weeks in that I couldn't do two weeks before. I think sometimes for us as Christians, this is what we kind of think. Like, this is going to happen with us in Christ when we say, hey, I'm going to turn over a new leaf at the beginning of a new year. I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And you get to like the second half of Genesis and you're like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore, <laughs> right? And Lord, I read the Bible for two weeks. I made it like past the, the fall. I mean, I made it a little ways. Like, come on, Lord. I mean, I, I tried. Where are my newbie gains at? You're like, well, like you just... Am I not done? I mean, I tried a little bit. Or maybe you kind of jump into a huddle and you're saying, hey, I'm going to memorize passages. With, I'm going to hold people accountable. And then like six weeks in, you're still having trouble memorizing passages because you just haven't done it. Like, I'll memorize one of them. I'm like, yeah. It's the exact same thing with me working out where sometimes we, we kind of get, we get frustrated with the Lord. We get frustrated with kind of our walk with Christ because we're not seeing a lot of strength. But sometimes we got to step back and actually ask ourselves, are we actually working out our salvation with fear and trembling? Or are we just wishing that it happened overnight? Are we just wishing that by having this like affiliation with Jesus that, that we would just somehow be in, in, imbued with strength or something spiritually and it would just, it would happen? It doesn't work like that. There's just no shortcut in sanctification. There's just, there's not. So, so many times I talk to people who will tell me that they're frustrated with, with God. And then I will so we'll kind of break that down, talk about that. And a lot of times what happens in these conversations is saying, listen, I just feel like, I just feel like he's not there anymore. You know, like I remember some times in the past where I felt like I was really close to him, but I just feel like he's not there. I feel like he's not speaking. You know, I mean, there was some point in the past, I went on a retreat or something, or I did this thing for this group for a little while, and I just felt like he was right there with me, and now I feel like he's just gone. I feel like he's left me. I feel like it's just, like I'm just back to where I started. I mean, I, just, I can't feel him, and I can't, I don't have any strength in my life. I just feel like the Spirit is not with me. What, what is wrong? Why has God left me? You ever feel like that? Have these point of frustration moments when you're saying, like, I just, I, I'm not close to him. I don't feel the strength. I, I, I'm not overcoming sin. Like, I don't see any fruit in my life. And what is God doing? Why is he backed off from me? Where did he go? Why did he abandon me? I felt like that sometimes. What I've come to do, what I've come to learn to do is when those conversations happen, I'm, and even when it's happening with myself, is to stop and ask myself, all right, how's my time in the Word? How's my time with the Lord? 
I meet with those people and they're frustrated because they're not feeling like the God's doing anything in their life. There's no fruit, there's no change. It's like, okay, tell me about, tell me about your time in the, in, in, with the Lord this week. Well, 10 out of 10 times. When somebody's walking through that kind of feeling and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sensing God's presence in my life at all. Like, tell, me, tell me about your time in, in, just with the Lord, you and the Lord alone this week. How did that go? 10 out of 10 times, there's nothing. And not spending any time with the Lord. Maybe they're like doing a little, you know, a little, you know, token verse in the morning or something, but they're not like spending time with the Lord. I'm like, oh, he looked away. Tell me, tell me the last time that you were actively like pursuing Jesus, where you're opening your Bible on a daily basis and you were studying, you were praying that the Spirit would speak to your life as, as you read through the Word. When's the last time? Like, tell me the last time that your prayer life was active, where you were really like, you know, getting on your face for the Lord and like spending time with him, like actually talking with him. When you were, tell me the last time you were meditating and memorizing scripture, like tell me the last time you were really like availing yourself, you were really working out your salvation. And every single time, the last time that they felt close to the Lord, last time they saw that fruit in their life was the last time that they were actively pursuing him. That's the way it is for me too. Like every time that I, like I start drying up spiritually, and I can start feeling that kind of atrophy happen spiritually in my life. I start asking myself, like, how is my time in the Word? Am I, am, I just, am I just reading it and letting my eyes wash over the pages, or am I actively, like, engaging with the text? Am I still journaling like I was before? Am I memorizing? Am I meditating? How's my prayer life? Like, am I going on prayer walks and spending, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes with the Lord at a time? Am I doing that stuff? When I start drying up spiritually, the answer to all those questions is no. My time in the Word's gotten routine, and I start just kind of looking at the Bible. I'm, I'm reading the words, but it's not penetrating my heart. All the other spiritual disciplines that, that, that shape me and form me and encourage me, they're all falling off on the side because I'm, I'm busy, right? What happens is I end up replacing the things that give me life spiritually with getting a few more tasks done in the day. And I start to dry up. The Lord didn't go anywhere. In my life, when, when I'm drying up spiritually, the Lord didn't go anywhere. He didn't back off from me. I backed off from him. That's James 4, 8. It says, if you draw near God, he'll draw near to you. What James means is, he ain't going nowhere. You did. So he says, work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. There's this, there's this thing about us where we want to see these quick gains. We put two weeks in, and we're going to dig in hard, and we think we're going to arrive. It just doesn't work like that. There's no shortcut in sanctification. Listen, maybe for some of you this, this past year, when you ask, hey, how's, have you, how's your walk with Christ changed over this past year? You're looking back over the last year and you haven't grown a bit. Maybe you had a spark there at some point a little bit, and maybe, but honestly, most of this past year, you've just been floating. Maybe there's some of you in the room who are, you have seen some, some change. You've jumped into a group and like you're starting to, you know, spend time with the Lord for the first time and starting to figure out how to journal and doing all these things and you're seeing some fruit happen in your life. Praise God for that. Some of you are just absolutely blowing it up. Like, I have conversations with you, and you're just, like, as close to Jesus as you, like, could possibly imagine being. You're, like, multiplying stuff. You're becoming a leader. Like, you're doing all this crazy stuff. Regardless of where you are, that's my kid screaming back there. Regardless of where you are in that process, if you've seen no change, if you've seen some, or if you've seen just a ton, you gotta, you, you can't miss this next, this next phrase. Because it, it has this effect of, of bringing us back down and reminding us of, of whose power is at work in your life. So verse 13 says this. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's interesting. Paul calls us to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but then says that it's God who works in you to do it. 
He tells you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and then says, but it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So who's doing the work? Are you doing the work or is God doing the work? Can you just sit back and relax and God's going to do all of it? Or are you supposed to work really hard and you're supposed to do it and just like, you know, give God a tap, like a hat tip, you know, say, okay, I, I got this. No, but there's this, there's this co-mingling of these things where, where we're pouring ourselves out. We're pouring ourselves into this, into this relationship we have with Christ. And then God is doing something in us and through us for his good pleasure that we could never accomplish on our own. Remember how Gladwell, at the beginning of that book, he said it was, took two things. It took 10,000 hours and it took some luck. That 10,000 hours thing, that's for us saying, like, we're gonna, we got to put in, like, we got to put in the time. We gotta avail ourselves of the word. We gotta spend the time in spiritual disciplines to draw near the Lord. But that's not enough. And thankfully for us, if you wanna if you wanna know and walk well with Jesus, thankfully the second thing that you need is not luck. Something you've got something far more secure, far more stable than just hoping it works out. You've got this God who loves you perfectly, has given you the spirit inside of you to empower you to do things that you could never accomplish on your own to give you a will to spend time in the word, to give you, like, the, the, it says that the Spirit gives us words to pray. We're not even sure what to pray. Like, God is doing this work in us to accomplish something we can never accomplish on our own. Listen, God empowers our efforts to be more like him. Did you catch that? God empowers our efforts to be more like him. That's really good news. For most of us, it's really good news anyway. It's good news that, that you're not alone in this. For some of us, that's really comforting. For those that are struggling and fighting for ground who want to draw near the Lord, it's really encouraging to know that like, it's just not on you. Jessica and I all the time talk about how we wish we were more self-disciplined. We wish we had the strength inside of us to do all the things that we intend to do. But thanks be to God, it's not just built on my strength because I don't have enough. And you don't either. There's just comfort in this that we're not alone in this effort. For others, this verse can be a little bit cautionary can be a little bit cautionary for those of us who think that we're doing really great. If you're at a point when you think that you're doing really great and you've got it all figured out, that you're miles ahead of those people around you, there's this reminder of the humility that Christ showed in the four verses that preceded this. That in humility, he made himself a servant. Like, 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 even in that, if you are doing really well spiritually, and if you can look back five years ago and see real change in your life, then there's this humility saying, like, this is not off of me being disciplined. This is not off me being strong. This is about the Spirit of God working in my life. We don't get to boast in this. So this, this is how this works. As we grow to be more Christ, there's this Christ-like, there's this beautiful partnership here where we're striving towards him, but the Spirit is working to empower us to do so. I think Psalm 127.1 is really helpful when we think about this, all right? Psalm 127.1, it says this. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Just think about that for a second. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, or those who build, build it, they, they labor in vain. So the way this works is that, that God is like, he's like the superintendent. He's the architect of this thing. He is the one directing the path. Like he's he's the, the supervisor of this building project, okay? And then there's some workers that are there, and they're like, this guy told me to put these bricks on top of this thing, and I'm going to do that, all right? And then some, the sheetrock guy comes in, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to lay sheetrock, and somebody else plan the house and did the thing and like somebody else is in charge of this and all I know I'm just going to do my job I'm going to stay in my lane I'm going to lay some sheetrock for us like there's this this God who's superintending the universe as intended for, for you to draw near to him and as intended that when he gives you his spirit to empower you to do things that you can't do on your own if you try to build this house by yourself 
It's not going to work. Colossians 1.29, it says it like this. It says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's talking about taking the gospel of the nations. So, so who's doing the work? It says, For this I toil. Like, I'm toiling. I'm, I'm struggling. But with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See how there's this beautiful relationship here where there's this, there's this effort on our part that's empowered by the Spirit of God to do things that we couldn't do otherwise. So yes, we toil, yes, we struggle, but it's all with his energy that we're dependent upon because we can't do this ourselves. Listen, God empowers our efforts to be more like him. You gotta put in the time. If you wanna be this expert in following Jesus, if you wanna know and follow Jesus well, you've gotta put in the time. And if you're not putting in the time, that's going to show. God's not gonna like overcome that and somehow build you into this pillar of strength in Christ if you're not willing to put in the time. But as you put in the time, you gotta know this, the Spirit of God is working in you and through you to do things that are far beyond what you could do on your own. There's a goodness in that. There's a comfort in that. Our band's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a time of response and, and this is what I wanna tell you. Like if you're a Christian and you're in one of those seasons when it feels like you're dry and it feels like there's, um, there's just not a lot of fruit happening in your life and that's frustrating to you, I hope it's frustrating to you. And I just want you to have a gut check moment this morning and say to yourself, like, listen, am I, am I putting in the time? Are you, are you putting in the time? Are you spending time with the Lord with, like, on your own? Are you, are you spending time with your Bible open and a journal in hand, a pen there, and you're, you're trying to figure out what God is saying to your life and how to apply that to yourself? For so many people, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking that how, how many people I talk to that have been Christians forever and spend no time with the Lord on their own. They don't know their Bibles well. They're just waiting for somebody else to tell them what, what it has to say. Listen, our time each week up here, well, like me talking about a couple of verses out of the Bible, is completely insufficient for your spiritual growth. you got to have way more than this. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to try to give you some truth and encourage you and push you forward in some ways, but if this is all that you get on a weekly basis, is a sermon or two a week, somebody else telling you what they've found in the Word, that's not enough for you. You gotta get there in front of the text on your own. Pour your heart out into it and allow God to change your life by it. You've gotta develop these, these, these patterns of prayer and memorizing scripture and meditating on that and drawing near the Lord. Listen, you've gotta put in the time. But you've also gotta trust that the God of the universe is gonna empower you to do that. That he's gonna come alongside you. James 4, 8, like when you start drawing near to him, putting in that time, that he's gonna draw near to you and multiply the impact of that. All right? Now, if you're not a Christian in the room this morning, um, this is what I want to say to you. Like, the, if somebody has told you that what we believe is that as soon as you trust Jesus, like everything is going to change. In one sense, it absolutely does. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, like you're justified before God, your sin is wiped away, and you're, you're standing there just unashamed before the God that created you. And that's a beautiful thing. But at that point, you are a spiritual newborn. Like you've just come to trust Christ. Like that's day one for you. And hopefully, as you're a part of a church and a part of a body and you're digging into the word, like you're gonna grow to be more and more like Jesus from that day for the rest of your life. So yeah, in a moment, everything changes. But it begins a process of coming to know this, this God that loves you perfectly. And so I would love nothing more this morning than to get to have a conversation with you about how to come to know this God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who gave up his life for you. And I'd love nothing more to see you plug into a church where you can have some people around you to help you figure out how to walk well with this Savior of yours. That's why we're here. We're a church that's trying to send disciple makers of Jesus by just 
being disciple makers. We just want to, we want to be people who are following Christ well and showing other people how to do that exact same thing. So if you need help with that, you're in the right place because all of us do as well. That's why we're a part of a church where we bind together in these groups to propel ourselves forward in the power of the Spirit. So I'm going to be down here in the front. If I can help you with anything, if I can pray with you about anything, I'm going to be right here. I'm also going to be here after the service. Like if you want to talk about something, if you have questions about how you can plug in, about what it means to follow Christ, I'm going to stay down front this week and I'd love to talk to you about that. Our band's going to lead us. You respond how you feel. Why don't you stand with us?